You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. One thing, Angie, I, I read this fact, and, I, and I'm going to save it for when we get to nutrition, but how do jaguars catch fish? They, they've developed a technique that is amazing. It's amazing. So, What can they teach us? The other thing Krista gave me a lot of hope, and a lot of people do care about jags, obviously, is uh, there's been jaguar conservation units established, and these are high density. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Angie, big cats have been in the news a lot in the last few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> That's an understatement. Uh, yes. But I know it's our goal here at All Creatures Podcast, as well as a lot of the organizations we're affiliated with, to uh, make sure we spread the word about big cats and how to conserve them in the wild Mm -hmm. and how they should be cared for when they're living uh, under human care, either accredited zoos or sanctuaries. So I I think all the tiger talk or big cat talk Mm -hmm. is... Not necessarily a bad thing. I, I just hope no. that it gets people listening and thinking, asking questions, and then, of course, mm-hmm. doing their own research. So, yeah, we wanted to keep the, the big cat theme going and talk today about the – here in North in South yeah. America, our largest yes. big cat. The jag. The jaguar. The jag, yes. Oh, I love them. I love them. I – I, but the last time I was up close and personal was a few months ago at the LA Zoo. So thanks, shout out to Mike for arranging that, where I got to go and with, you know, with the keeper and we went behind the scenes and saw the jag up close. I mean, they're just so impressive. They are just so impressive and gorgeous. So beautiful, iconic, wow. uh, and adored by anyone that's ever seen one or, and then also they're really elusive, right? And that mm-hmm. in the jungles of the tropics. So they are hard to see. And I think yeah. there's a lot of interest in them because they, they can be so secretive yet so powerful. And they represent, I think just beauty and grace and strength. Oh. 
And yes, I've definitely been lucky enough to spend a little time uh, up close and, and personal, of course, through protected, mm, <laughs> protected yes, facility yes. where you don't cross the yellow line yeah. uh, behind the scenes at the zoo where I worked at with John many, many moons ago. And uh, we were dating at the time. And so mm-hmm. he was the big cat guy. And of course, I was yeah. hoofstock. I was hoofstock <laughs> lady. So he was trying to impress you. He was. Like, yeah, and trust yeah, me, yeah, when yeah. I got to, when I got to see him train Kianto, which is just this gorgeous jag he worked with mm-hmm. us and, uh, it was cool. And before we started this podcast, I was asking John, I'm like, Oh, you know, do you want to come mention anything about jags? And he, his whole face just lit up. He's like, no, they're just, there's nothing I can say, but besides they're amazing creatures they to are. work with they and are. they're beautiful and they have really cool personalities as anybody who even owns a domestic cat, right? We all know mm-hmm, your domestic mm-hmm. cat has a big, they're small cats, but they have a yes, big personality. Yep. Yep. So obviously like a, a big cat, like a Jag is going to have an awesome personality. And so, yes, uh, they do. They yes. Do. Raising my, raising my cup of tea to uh, Kianto for this podcast. Yeah. They're, and, and I think often forgotten, you know, often forgotten big cat. Well, Yes, Chris. Shame on us. Whatever. I don't know what number we're on. Episode one. One fifty three. Wow. One fifty three. Time flies when you're having fun. And how is this the first time we're doing Jags? So even us, I think, uh, have not given them the credit they deserve. So stick with us on this podcast, and you're going to hopefully fall in love with jaguars and want to go see them in the wild and help them serve them in the wild mm-hmm. and have a much more appreciation. If you are so lucky to have one at your local accredited zoo that you can go up close and just see those, see those rosettes. So. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And we're going to talk about those in a second. Uh, just real quick, you know, thanks to our listeners for all the support the last few weeks, you know, as we all get through this uh, self-isolation period, you know, the, the kids podcast is doing really well. People seem to love it. So we're going to keep <laughs> doing fun. that. Yeah. And it's just a, good, a shout it's out. A, it's a healthy, good distraction, right? That everybody um, making young uh, zoologists, scientists, keepers, that's a good goal to have. And it is, <laughs> it is, it, it is. I love it. I love listening to him. And just a shout out to Meredith from Florida. She joined us on Patreon this week. And then Jennifer, who volunteers at the San Diego Zoo, she emailed us and she, uh, she said some nice things. So it, it was good talking to them and other people. Yes, so keep we those emails coming. appreciate the emails. Yeah. Chris will send them to me and I'll wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I am doing the right thing with my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to give a huge shout out as I always encourage people yeah. that can't join Patreon. Uh, give us a five-star review on iTunes. It's greatly appreciated. Not only, of course, hitting the five-star button, but also leaving a written comment. And so recently, Lady Alford a mom of two, which is just like me. So mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. feel you, sister. I feel you. Uh, <laughs> she left us a really nice written review on iTunes, which is really helpful. So when people check out our podcast, they can see what listeners are saying. And so thank yeah. you, Lady Alford. And um, hopefully we'll get some more in the weeks to come because I know everybody's got time on their hands. Yes. <laughs> They're listening to the podcast because numbers are spiky. So that's good. <laughs> So one thing, Angie, I, I've read this fact and, and I'm going to save it for when we get to nutrition, but how do jaguars catch fish? They, they've developed a technique that is amazing. It's amazing. So stay tuned for that. It's, yeah. it's hilarious. They are, yeah. they're amazing hunters. So that's going to be a fun segment when we get yeah, there. Yeah. So, you know, jaguars, Angie, you know, do you want to talk about the coat color patterns? I mean, just 
gorgeous. Gorgeous. Yeah. So everybody, for some reason, I think when you say leopard, everybody knows leopard. Mm-hmm. Big cat with spots mm-hmm. in Africa and Asia. Uh, and so a jaguar is pretty much the same thing as far as a big cat. Uh, like I said earlier, and Chris and I will talk the sizes here in a second, but they're the biggest in uh, North and South America and are and over here in the New World. And they have these yellow or tawny, sometimes even orange coats with dark black spots. And the dark spots are unlike any other cat mm-hmm. spots. So mm-hmm. they're different than the leopard. And so for anybody who's been lucky to see them up close, that each spot on a jag looks like a rose, more or less. Mm-hmm. And they're called rosettes. And so when I say rosette, you just kind of think of a rose. So it's a round spot, but shaped almost like a flower, which leopards do have as well. Mm-hmm. The difference, though, comes at what's in the center of the spot. So a jaguar inside the rosette has a black spot. Or spots. Some, spots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Where a leopard does not. I know. That's the thing. That is that is how you tell the difference because they do look very similar. Well, mine is the continents that they live on. So there's – Yeah. And, <laughs> there's, and I think – There's uh, yeah. some oceans between, but yes. Yeah. But if you are just looking at two, uh, two side by side – and there's other several features for people that work with them a little bit closer. Uh, and I like the, – the way that I like to describe it is – so, Chris, jaguars have like a little bit more maybe lean body – and really muscular limbs, legs. And they also have incredible jaws and prominent cheeks. Yes. So a leopard face is a little bit more slender. And sleek. And sleek. Wait, 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 wait. How would you know, though? You've never seen one in the wild. Oh! <laughs> I just had to say that. There it is. And there I it had is, to folks. say that. And it is. No, that. it's totally – it's so funny. No, it's so awesome that you uh, bust my chops for this because uh, here I am in Africa a couple yeah. different times. I'm always trying to see leopards, never seeing leopards. And frustrated because I have friends that like, oh, we just got off the plane and there was a leopard. And it doesn't <laughs> happen to me and I'm just going to give up. Interestingly enough, I have traveled to South America and Central America on several occasions and the American Southwest. So I've been to a lot of jaguar habitat and I've, of course, never seen a jaguar, but I've also never went really looking for one. And that's Mm -hmm. the problem. And so I think that, and we'll, we'll talk about this more in the podcast a little bit later. I think especially when I was traveling more frequently in uh, South and Central America, ecotourism wasn't as promoted. It wasn't mm-hmm. as such a thing as it is in Africa. You go to safari. And and so I I, I should have been looking for jags mm-hmm. my whole younger life when I was traveling, but I didn't. And so, no, I've seen neither of them in the wild. So oh, there yeah, you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Luckily, like I said, with my husband and his connections and his uh, affiliation with and love – Working with big cats, I've had the pleasure of seeing them both up close. Yeah, and yes. I, I don't know. I, I, I think I might be, I think I might, I don't know which one's more beautiful. They're so, they're just I, either or. 
I was surprised when I first saw Leopard that they were smaller than I thought. Sure. And Jags are just, I read a description. They describe like the pit bull of cats. Like they look pit bullish. That They're, bully face. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they definitely have a lot a more prominent face and mm-hmm. yeah, it, yeah. Uh, they're, they're, Anyways, so, they're majestic. Right. And, yeah. and, but now, <laughs> now I know yeah. and I can look back at my life and be like, okay, I did all that wrong. And now the next time I need to go, I need to find an ecotourism spot that uh-huh. will help me find a jag. And I, and then you probably still won't see one because they're very elusive, but yeah, at yeah. least I'll have tried. Uh, and well, uh, let's go back to what was it, episode, I don't know, 11 or 10 when you, Suzanne, she does the, Mm-hmm. Oh yes, Amazon, the Amazon oh, the, the river, river dolphins. dolphins. Yeah. Pink dolphins. Yep. Yeah, I wonder if she's ever seen one. Like that would be yeah. cool. Too. On that little that, that trip she does down there, you know, mm-hmm. going up mm-hmm. and down the Amazon. Yes. No, she's dolphins. invited us. So yeah, uh, one of these That'd days is definitely on the bucket list yeah. for sure. Well, and then just talking about size. So you know, it varies from nose to tail. The base of the tail can, they can be up to six feet long. So that's pretty pretty big. They're a big cat. Or, yeah. 1.85 meters. Now, I didn't know this. The tail is the shortest of any big cat and gets up to 30 inches in length, which is shorter than others. They only stand about 30 inches at the shoulder, 76 centimeters. So they're not like super big. And they can weigh up to over 200 pounds, almost 100 kilograms. Big, big males can get over 300 pounds, like the big, massive, muscular males. Yes, Chris, there's definitely a little bit of sexual dimorphism going on mm-hmm. to favor the males, uh, where they can be anywhere from 10 to 20% larger than females. So right. it's yeah. pretty impressive, yeah. especially for a big cat already, right? Big cat. Yeah. Yeah. They're big. Yeah. They're, yeah, for sure. Now range. Okay. Where are these range? And like you said, American Southwest, their historical range was here where I live, Southern California. I know. Baja right? Peninsula, all the way down into Argentina. The only place you didn't see them in South America is really that, I'm going to get my east-west right this time, the mm-hmm. western coast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know we got it wrong with the chinchillas. Or no, it was, uh, it was the, uh, uh, the monk seal. I got confused east-west. But, you know, the, over the Andes Mountains, they're not, they're, their historical range wasn't into Chile. So that was like their barrier. But everywhere east, all the way to the Atlantic Ocean, they were historically. Today, and we're going to talk about some numbers later in the podcast. There is one jag that is crossing the border. They think maybe two in the American Southwest. Mm-hmm. The the interview with Brett Hartle. Wow, I can't believe I remembered that. Uh, it's around episode 100. And when I talk about this mine, which is a great interview with a lawyer about, you know, protecting environmental laws, the Endangered Species Act. But the reason they were fighting that mine so much is because there was this one male jag who would range there and that mining operation would really disrupt his range. So that's why they were fighting so hard on that. That's a great so they, episode. Yeah. You should, oh yeah. We got to promote that one. That's yeah. a great one. It's just different. It's just a different thought process, you know, mm-hmm. the legal side of it. So, you know, so th- there is jags that, do cross the border in the United States. And again, the border wall, not getting into politics. That's why some people are against it. You know, a lot of animals will suffer, whatever, but go down into Mexico. So there are in Mexico, the Yucatan, Central America, and then, you know, the Amazon basin, Colombia, where Anna's from down into parts of Argentina. So, but the range, I'm going to talk about it has shrank heavily, heavily, heavily. Now, 
the one thing I wanted to talk about with description, Angie, which I think would be good here, is one thing we can talk about is the black jaguar, right? That you yes. find these black coats. Have you ever seen one? I've seen a black leopard. Mm-mm. Nope. No. Mm-mm. Not in Africa, though. Sorry, Angie. You'll find out why. <laughs> I haven't even been on safari in Africa. So, you know, you're lucky. You got to see a lot. I know. Uh, Trust me. I'm not feeling too bad uh, for myself. That's for sure. For sure. You will see it. You will see it sometime in your life. You will see a leopard and you'll never forget it. <laughs> so, Well, now I'm kind of like, forget about leopards. I want to see it. Yeah. I want to see a jag. So it's getting, oh, it's getting bumped to the list. Yeah. All right. So this black coat that you see with leopards and jaguars, it's called melanism. And what it is, is, is dark colored pigment in the skin. So melanism is a, is a Greek word that means black pigment. It's the opposite of albinism or albino, right? White. So melanism's black. So I found a paper, which I found very interesting. It was ecology and evolution of melanism in big cats case study with black leopards and jaguars. And this just came out in 2017. And so what they did is, is they went and looked at census data of 623 leopards, 980 jaguars across their current ranges, looking at instances of melanism. So I thought it was really interesting study in it. And again, I'm going to link, I do link these studies in our show notes. So if people want to read them more, cause there's a couple of really cool maps that I, I actually sent to Angie. Cause I was like, you got to look at these maps are really cool. And so what they did is they went and, and took all this census data. And what we do know about melanism is it is a dominant allele in the jag, but a recessive allele in the leopard. And what I think what they're getting out of the study is not only the instances of this melanism, but also where. And that's what I took away from it. So it, it's interesting, even though it's dominant, the frequency is almost the same in both jags and leopards. Yeah, it's I was about, reading for yeah. jaguars, at least, so it's only 6% of the population. This study had it at almost 10, okay. 10%, and leopards was 11%. Hmm. And it's a dominant allele. You know, yeah. you're like, okay, but, and I'll put these, I'm going to put these photos on, on the show notes just because I think they're cool. It's when you look at the map of where they are, where they're mm-hmm. located, where this is a, a a trait that is expressed in these animals. Again, talks about supports evolution, like just everything. They're always or mostly always found in tropical regions with dense vegetation. Mm-hmm. Be, so in the leopards, you know, in Africa, there's only one of, of the 680 they looked at. There was only one instance of melanism in Ethiopia in kind of the, the, the foresty part of Ethiopia mm-hmm. of a black leopard. Almost all the black leopards were in Southeast Asia, in India, Thailand. Uh, really tropical uh, region. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa. That's, I mean, this is why I love science. It's like, you yeah. know, wouldn't you love, you're such a dork. You... Yeah, Chris, it's basically Darwin's natural selection in, in action. I mean, there are, Potentially some benefits to being, uh, completely having a dark color coat. Uh, but if you think about it, we really don't see that that often, right? And especially like in cats, uh, having spots or stripes help you camouflage, right? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, on the savanna, that dark coat, the prey would see them, you know, the deer and antelope and everything for a leopard. 
and or even a jaguar and, and some of the open areas that it lives. Whereas in the dense jungle, it actually helps camouflage them better. And they are able to hide in the shadows and be more successful. So that's why in leopards you see it. And then with jags, you see it mostly in the Amazon. Right. The basin so into Colombia. Similar pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the ones in Mexico, there is one. They did find an instance of one in northern Mexico. But most of the other ones are all in the Yucatan Peninsula, which again, dense forest. So anyways, I thought it was cool. Science. Yeah. I love, it. love it. So when when you do see that black coat, which is rare, or it's 10% of the population, you now you know the story behind it. Right. Know, yeah. And so that's uh, a black panther isn't like a species. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No. So basically, no. jaguars and leopards have the melanistic gene and pretty right. infrequent in their population. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. it's a pretty rare phenomenon and yeah. uh, super cool. Yeah. Now, why care, Angie, about jags? What, 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 I mean, they're just. Oh, they're I so was going to say it's. I mean, yeah. I, big cats are obviously easy to talk about. Why care? Mm-hmm. Just because you look at them and they're just so impressive. And then you take a jaguar and it's a beautiful rosette coat, and you just fall in love with them. And they're strong and agile and powerful and all of that. But from a scientific point of view, or an ecosystem role, a jaguar is a top predator. It's an apex king of its own South American, Central American jungle. And it's known as a keystone species. And so once again, what that means is a keystone species basically has a huge significance in their food chain or food web. And so if that species is lost or decreases, it's going to have a huge impact, trickle down effect in this instance on all the other species or a lot of other species in the ecosystem. So removing jags, which we have done historically in the past 100 years Mm -hmm. from their natural habitats is having a dramatic effect on the rest of the food chain all the way down the line. And Chris, what's also amazing about jags, I think I'm such an ecosystem dork is why I Mm -hmm. fell even more in love with them is I knew that they were obviously a top predator because they're a big mm-hmm. cat. But they're also an umbrella species. Yeah. And what an umbrella species is, is they have this big habitat. And if you protect them, because they're so iconic and important for the ecosystem, you're also protecting so many other species that live in that habitat. So... Mm-hmm. It's really important and conservationists are working very hard to try to focus on conserving them and conserving their habitat because they know such a wide range of species will benefit from focusing in on jaguars. So I I just think that they play such a big role and obviously they pull people's heartstrings too because they're so beautiful. Uh, And I don't know, we just – pretty easy to feel like you have a connection or want to know more about them because they're mysterious and beautiful. Mm -hmm. So it would be sad to have their populations be reduced even more than they have been in the past 100 years or so. Yeah. And I mean, this is a species that's near threatened and, you know, it's like you talk about top predator. I just, that Yellowstone 
study. That's going to be classical study, you know, the effects of predators on ecosystems. And we should probably dig to find other instances of that. I go back to the tiger episodes, I think it was 83 and 85, where we talked about the benefit of tigers to farmers, Mm -hmm. how they keep herbivores in check and drove other like leopards and other cats away from preying on smaller livestock. A tiger might take a, a cow every now and then or something, but not as much as the other predators. And, and jags just are, are critical to the ecosystem. And yeah, Chris, uh, the ecosystem, of course, is kind of what you and I focus on because that's our specialty. Mm-hmm. But when you want to talk about economic importance, when it's not about the money, yeah. it's about the money is jaguars because they are these incredibly beautiful species and they are a big cat in the Americas, the biggest cat in Americas. Mm-hmm. They can drive a lot of ecotourism. And that's just something that's, I think, starting to be tapped into. And I, so I did a little digging of what is going on. And so I found a, a good paper um, from 2007 talking about advances and barriers to the development of jaguar tourism in the Brazilian Pantanal region. And so for those of you that aren't familiar, the Pantanal region is basically the southern Amazon basin that uh, is west towards Uruguay and and so it's like the floodplains and, mm-hmm. and a lot of research has been done there because there's a lot of reserves and this is a really interesting part of Brazil where they've been trying to combine jaguar tourism to make it more economically stable for the region and it's really the only part of Brazil that has a lot of policies for wildlife tourism so in a lot of other parts of Brazil, it's not highly, it's not as regulated and right, it's right. not, it might be, uh, we've talked in this podcast before about ecotourism where this should be benefit the local people and the animals, like not feeding them and baiting them and all this kind of stuff. And so uh, this area of Brazil in the Pantanal region, the government has some supervision about it and some laws. And so they're basically trying to figure out how to work within this area with the, some of the local farmers and how to generate more collaboration versus human, human livestock conflicts yeah, and reduce. Yeah. The livestock Jaguar conflicts that can, that can happen. And so basically, so in this region, they're looking into how can, how can we all work together? How can we get, how can farmers maybe even do some ecotourism on their ranches and generate some revenue? And what, what would that model look like? And if so, how do we do it that's safe for the animals, right? Without, without, you don't want to bait them mm-hmm. or do anything like mm-hmm. that. And so it just gave me a lot of hope that, uh, and I know this is not the only part of, uh, South America or Central America that's is starting to kind of focus in on how to do ecotourism better and how to work with uh, basically the livestock industry uh, or more private, private uh, areas of land because the Jaguars cover such a vast area. It's going to, places are going to need to be interconnected and think outside the box as far as providing wildlife corridors. And it's just, it's a work in progress. And of course, there's several countries. I don't even know if we've touched on. I think it's like 18 countries that Jaguars range in, right? Oh, yeah. So it's it's a lot. And every country has different policies and regulations Mm -hmm. and things like that. And But Brazil is 
home to the largest population of jaguars. Uh, um, they think maybe up to 10,000. So I think it's really important to start to see newer research and studies that are trying to focus on how to advance safe wildlife ecotourism while also minimizing basically the farmer livestock jaguar conflict, mm -hmm. uh, because it's, 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 it, it's going to take a lot of people working together. It's not just a, Oh, this no. one organization came in and saved all the Jags no, or, no. uh, this one area. I mean, they have such a big range and it's so many different countries with different economic, economic status, different political parties, different, uh, different issues, uh, that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's I've, quite, it's quite interesting. And, yeah. but the other thing Krista gave me a lot of hope and a lot of people do care about Jags, obviously, is, uh, there's been Jaguar conservation units established and these are high density, more or less, of areas of mm -hmm. Jaguars and working on how to protect them in the different parts of Mexico, uh, Brazil, Argentina, Honduras, Panama, Colombia. So a lot of different countries mm -hmm. where, okay, we have this higher density population. How do we, we're, we're going to declare a, a jaguar conservation unit and how do we put protections in place, reserves in place, things like that to try to take these. And by when I, when I say dense population, I, they were just categorizing 50 or more. Mm -hmm. So you and I, as, as research scientists know that that's not a huge population number, but. No. It's good that they're making strides of saying they're starting to identify, okay, this is an area of, uh, that we need to focus in and try to do more conservation, um, planning and preserving of areas. So it's, it's, it's pretty complex. Um, well, but, that's the one thing I learned in this podcast the last two and a half years is conservation is very complex. It's very complex and especially for an animal that has such a wide, huge, range. huge range. And you have countries yeah. with different cultures and different economic Laws. status yeah. and different governments. And so, yeah. uh, but I do think that in general, most countries have obviously some protected areas mm -hmm. or some bans for hunting and mm -hmm. trading and things like that. And, uh, because they realize how, critical this animal is in, in the ecosystem. And so, uh, but they are still very threatened because of deforestation. Well, that's a good segue because that's what this next paper that I, that I looked up and I'll put, make sure to post it talks about how these Jags are, are suffering worse than what like IUCN. So I think you'll like this study because it, it kind of explains how IUCN does some things. So like I said, IUCN has them as, as near threatened, and this study was the jaguar spots are darker than they appear, assessing the global conservation status of the jaguar Panthera onsa, which we'll talk about here in a second in natural history. But this was a study looking at, you know, how they're doing in the wild. And it talks about IUCN. So the way IUCN classifies animals, and I know that's the gold standard because that's all we have, right? And, and you and I talk about how the data is dated for a lot of species. They don't have the money to classify everything and they're not just classifying mammals and they're birds, reptiles, plants, everything. Right. I don't know how they do it. Kudos. Yeah. yeah. So IUCNs are, are, is our gold standard, but this paper said, you know, I, the IUCN red list, that's where we get this data 
it, it really goes at a global level. So they look at the total population and they're like, they don't really have the time, effort or money to look at subpopulations. So when we, so that's where these scientists play their part where they need to go in and do this and dig up the data and then they can give it to IUCN. But they said, when you look at the subpopulations of jaguars, there's populations that are in deep, deep, deep trouble, deep right. trouble. Mm-hmm. So h- historically, the Jaguar range was 19 million square kilometers. So that was the I can't. That's like range. I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> that's so the, the all southeast, of uh, US, Central yeah. and South America yeah. for the most part. Yeah. yeah, it was you know Southeast United States. Like I said, California, mm-hmm. Southern California, all the way down to two thirds of Argentina, mm-hmm. minus Chile. You know the the western side of South Chile. America. Chile went there. Chile. So with the chinchilla. So anyways, that they had 19 million square kilometers since 1900, that's decreased to about 9 million square kilometers. So nuts. Right. And they've lost a lot of that. And the reason IUCN hasn't classified them as vulnerable or endangered is because they still have this huge population in the Amazon basin, which we talked about a few weeks ago, not in chinchilla, but in electric eel, we talked about the Amazon and how some scientists are scared that it's almost near the tipping point where when we get so much loss of that biomass, it's going to just turn into savanna. That all the rainfall is going to shut down. There's going to change sure, weather, the weather patterns. weather patterns will change. Mm-hmm. And so those plants can't survive. They will die off and it will be replaced with savanna. There goes the Jags, right? I mean, there goes how much biodiversity if that happens. So that's why scientists are alarmed. So back down to this. So they said, you know, Jags are actually in a lot worse position than IUCN is, is painting the picture because a lot of these subpopulations, like say that population in Northern Mexico or those populations in certain parts of Central America, are endangered or critically endangered. You know, there's a lot of human settlement, development. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Roads fragmented populations. Deforestation, yeah. yeah. So anyways, that's why JAGS, again, why you should care or, or we got to keep our eye to the species because not only the umbrella species, they can be a good bioindicator of, of environmental health. They, they're the top predator, top keystone. carnivore mm-hmm. and keystone mm-hmm. species. And we, they need us. They need help. You know, they need help. And that's what these scientists are saying. So anyways, so it goes perfect into ecotourism. Let's go and sell, you know, spend our money down there and say, protect your Jags. Yeah. And I think that's one thing we've been learning a lot this, the past few weeks with the Tiger King and mm-hmm. all this. If, if, if anything, my biggest take home message is do your research folks before yeah. you really do support do or support anything. Uh, we have, especially in North America, we have more, most people, a lot of people have technology and their iPhones or smart devices and just do a little research about the organization or that you're giving money to, whether mm-hmm. it's a product or uh, a trip or going to look at wildlife. Where are you going? And is it a, is it a good thing or a bad thing? And yeah. is it a, is it support animal conservation or doesn't, uh, do they support animal welfare or don't they? And so, uh, and I think 
for ecotourism, it's the same thing as far as I want it to grow in a safe and healthy way, but it also needs, there needs to be some regulations. So once again, if they're baiting the animals or not or mm-hmm. getting too close to the animals, uh, that is whether you're in South America or North America or anywhere, that's not a good practice. And so places are starting to establish what does it look like to be a good wildlife operator or or as example they point out in the Pantanal region of Brazil, as far as putting more stringent regulations in and getting uh wildlife operators to work with local uh farmers and livestock mm-hmm. owners, uh so and getting them working together. So anyways, yeah. just do your homework and be smart yeah. about it if and uh and then that way you can be and as we always say in the podcast, you might as well mm-hmm. vote with your dollar. If you have to spend mm-hmm. it, spend it the best way that you that you know how. And uh and then it'll, it'll go a lot longer and hopefully help jag conservation. Yep. Yep, yep. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. Now, just their natural history is, you know, we've done big cats, so it's kind of a review. But there's only one species of jaguar, the carnivore in the order. They're Felidae, which are cats. And then the genus is Panthera. And I didn't. I guess after doing this for, you said 153 episodes, we actually had like over 200 episodes out there, but, uh, over a hundred species. The genus is Panthera. So that's the genus for all the big cats. Like I, it, it just kind of hit me. It was because we do all these different species and they have different families and, and orders and all this. And, and there's like multiple genus for a certain species for, for the, all the big cats, the lions, the tigers, the, the, the leopards. Their genus is Panthera, which is cool. It's, it's, I don't know. Anyways, the dork in me, natural history. So <laughs> You're like, I'm noticing a trend. <laughs> I am. Well, it's, it's like the, I don't know. I mean, we, I can't think of the last species we covered. There's like two genus that was like still the same type of animal. Anyways, so Panthera is Jaguar's genus and then Panthera onsa, O-N-C-A is the species name. Now, Obviously, predators, carnivores, the myocids, something I've mentioned multiple times in this podcast, 62 million years ago. The funny thing is the myocid almost looked like a cat. It's just really eerie how like it, like jaguar myocid, you can make that connection where 
And then, you know, the genus Panthera, we think evolved in Asia about six to 10 million years ago. Now, again, Angie, the, the cat family tree, this is fun. I'm going to see if I can post this again. I have a great graphic. Uh, I'll have to find the website for it too. It, the cat family tree. So it has 37 species, eight lineages. So Panthera, with genus Panthera, is lion, tigers, jag, leopards, and snow leopards. Okay. So, and those are all the big cats. Big cats, yeah. And then you have the bay cat which is a lineage, the caracal, the ocelot, the lynx, the puma, which we're going to have to do at some point. I know. That's yeah. our stomping yeah. grounds. Yep. Yep. Florida. Uh, Asian leopard cat and then the domestic cat. So those are the eight lineages. There's 37 species of, of cats, Philidae. So they're just, so cool. cats are amazing. They're so fun. They're yeah, so they fun. are. I'm only a husband. He's the cat guy. I'm the dog yeah. stock person. Uh, but yeah, no, the more, the more we do this podcast and the more I get into the behavior, I just, I just, yeah. I, I'm, at least they're being tied. <laughs> the yes. Cat, with the cat family's dog. being tied with dogs yeah. and horses. Yeah. Now, Panthera is interesting. You know, it, it, the branched off, the, the clouded leopard branched off long ago. Right. Again, another species yeah. we're going to have to, yeah. I don't know why I always think of Jordan, Jungle Jordan. You guys got to follow him on social media. If you he's do. so cool. I love all that his picture, videos. I know. The picture of him with that clouded leopard on his head. He's just great. Uh, then you had tigers and snow leopards branch off. Then lions, leopards, and jags. So they're kind of more closely related. Uh, jags, about one and a half million years ago is when they left Asia over the Bering Strait, came over into the Americas. And today's Jags evolved about half a million years ago, 500,000 years ago. Okay. Now, Angie, did you know there was a European Jaguar? I did not. No, there was a European Jaguar. And That's so cool. Yeah. I had to throw this in for our European listeners because they're like, well, what about the European Jag? And now it was ancient and lived one and a half million years ago in Europe. And it was Panthera. Oh my gosh, this name. Okay. Gobazogenesis. That's a big one. <laughs> you deserve a raise for that, for even trying that. <laughs> yeah, it was a big one. So. But it's not related to Jags in, in America. Okay. They just called it the European Jag. Interesting. It, it, it's a cross between a lion and a Jag, bone structure-wise. Obviously don't know what it looked like because it's just bones, right? Mm -hmm. That's one and a half million years ago. But there was a European Jaguar. Then the Panthera onsa augusta was a mega jag. Okay. Only died out about 11,000 years ago at the end of the ice age when all this megafauna died off in the Americas for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> the mammoth died, like everything. That's, you know, I think there's a bunch of stuff happening, but this thing was huge and it was about the size of a male lion, big male lion. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So where today's Jags are kind of like a smaller lioness, the, this Jag ancestor was about the size of a male lion. So it was pretty big, pretty big. So there you go. Cats. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, and I think because of our domestic cats that we love mm -hmm. so much and we know so well and how they purr and just they're so, I know, I know. They'll need on you and so loving. Yeah. Uh, but 
I was curious about Jaguars and wondering, well, do they purr? Because, uh, like I said, I never worked directly with them. Mm-hmm. But in fact, uh, they do not purr. Uh, mm-hmm. They roar, and we'll talk a little bit more about yeah. that when we get to their behavior. Uh, but they make a whole bunch of noises. But purring is something they cannot do. And with that being said, it makes sense with the lineage it's because lions, tigers, and leopards, the other big cats as well, mm-hmm. also don't purr. Right. But, Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, okay. go ahead. Is that the butt? Okay. Cheetahs purr, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's what's super fascinating is cheetahs yeah. and cougars, which are, of course, they're not considered big cats or whatever, mm. but they're large cats, of course. And uh, they, they're classified differently because they have, because of the way their hyoid bone Mm, is in the hyoid bone that's for people aren't familiar humans have one as well but it's your only free floating bone that is like below your chin i guess if you will or your your jawline your mandible your lower jaw and it's what your tongue attaches your tongue attaches to so because of the way that the tongue is attached to the hyoid bone and cheetahs Mm. and cougars they can purr okay Okay. Now, jags can live like, like big cats. They just pre- big predators. They don't live super long in the wild, up to 15 years, but average is like 12. And then under human care, they can live up to 20. So, yeah, well, they're actually one of the, yeah, they're one of the longer living, longer, mm-hmm. yeah, longer living big yeah. cats for sure. Yeah. It's a tough life out there for them. Now, this was cool. They, right. They have, Huge eyes, the largest of any carnivore relative to head size. Did you, I read that. I was like, whoa, yeah. that's really cool. So, you know, their irises are golden to reddish yellow, but, you know, basically it's their eyes helps them see better in dark, which typically, I mean, we think of jags in, in dense forests. Sure. I mean, you know, so anyways, some other fun facts, you know, we're going to talk about this in a minute when they hunt, but... They love water. I mean, they're they a water-loving cat. I think them and tigers are the two big cats that love them. Oh, yeah. They're amazing swimmers. They yeah. And when they hunt, they're not afraid to go after no. creatures, big creatures in mm. the water, uh, such as sea turtles and caimans. So. Caimans, yeah. Yeah. And they, they and they bite. Their bite is powerful. Well, yeah, Chris. A lot of the studies I was coming across about their habitat mm. and when they were radio collared and things like that is – Water is a huge element that they'd like to be mm. their home Near. range is going to have some kind of water element mm. in it for sure. Yeah, they do. They, they, they like it. And like I said, their, their bite is the strongest of any big cat, which I was like, what? I, okay. It's so funny. Yeah. I, I felt the yeah. same way. I'm like, I didn't know that. I should ask John. Yeah. I think he knows it. He knows everything. I'm going to ask him as soon as this is done. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I, I, I mean, because we've talked about the hyena a lot on the podcast. Right. Right. With the bite force. And, but yeah, I guess looking yeah, okay. at just big cats alone. I mean, it makes sense when you see how their, their jaw line is just so much oh, it's muscle, more powerful and, uh, yeah. chiseled, if you will, and yeah. bigger. But I, I, I just, yeah, I, 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 I hadn't realized. Okay, so here's some of the data. So lion's bite force, according to this one website, 650 PSI. Tigers, 1,050 PSI. 
Hyena, 1100 PSI. Okay. Grizzly bear, 1200 PSI. Gorilla, 1300. That's pounds per square inch, right? Mm -hmm. Jaguars, they have 2000 pounds per square inch. That's insane and awesome. Yeah. Now, do you know the number one? If you kind of go back, uh, crocodile. Yep. Yep. Now crocodile, they have 5000 PSI. Yeah. I'm taking my vitamins, my DHA, <laughs> my omega-3 fatty acids. So huge, huge, huge bite force. So when they do hunt, and I think, you know, you mentioned this before we got recording, you're like, I didn't realize when they hunt, instead of going for the jugular and cut off air supply, what do they do? A lot of times they yeah. crack the skull. Yeah. They go for the head, the, the, the blow <laughs> to the head. And it's, they crush it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. it's crazy. If uh, a lot, most of the big cats, like Chris said, uses a deep throat suffocation technique. Mm-hmm. And trust me, the Jaguar, it has no shame. It'll use that as well for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it is the only big cat, uh, that uses this unique killing method of piercing directly through the temporal bones of the skull, which for those of you that aren't familiar, temporal bone is by your temple or by basically by mm-hmm. your ear. And yeah, with its canine teeth, sharp canine teeth, Oof. and uh, that bite force with all those PSIs, it pierces the brain. And yeah. that is Instant. a lot of the ways that it, it kills prey. So it'll jump on their back and just snap. And I was really fascinated by this. And so researchers, of course, aren't totally sure wh- why this evolved or how this evolved. But jaguars have this special adaptation uh, basically cracking open turtle shells mm-hmm. uh, and other armored reptiles. So they feel like that as they, over time, maybe in the Pleistocene period or just as they started to evolve, ones that had the strength and the skill set to be able to adapt to hard shell or hard reptile creatures that lived at that time, uh, survived. And so, yeah, they, they now, they, they know how to use it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they just crunch, crunch down on those bones. So <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's yeah. pretty crazy. Uh, and, yeah. uh, it's really, like I said, these are a lot of, this is why this podcast is so fun because I just, I, you know, I knew that they were good hunters, obviously, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I, I didn't know. I, I figured they used the typical suffocation asphyxiation yeah asphyxiation Mm -hmm. yeah it's yeah it's funny we do we do learn a lot and and with the the hunting i mean they they're pretty opportunistic i think i read 85 species different species they they hunt deer peccaries capybaras tapers like you said caimans turtles fish now do you want to know how they fish you ready for it? I do because yeah, it doesn't. I mean, that's not one that was really highlighted yeah. in a lot of the research that I was reading, and yeah. uh, because they're they are what are known as obligate carnivores, so they right. only eat meat uh, and fresh meat, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I guess it makes sense that fish would be in there, uh, especially okay. once I read that they were. Yeah, I mean, they eat a lot turtles, of different stuff. and then yeah. and then dragging these, you know, thirty-four kilogram turtles hundreds yeah. of meters into the forest yeah. so they're they're super strong uh and i guess i i guess maybe fish seem too wimpy but it makes sense that <laughs> they're gonna try to get whatever they can get right so tell have me. you ever seen like a dog trying to catch a fish in a bowl of water or something <laughs> or like a cat yeah so scientists have seen them 
sitting at the water's edge and they will tap their tail on the water to attract fish. Like a fishing pole. The fish come up and then they'll grab it real quick. Like, seriously. Genius. Seriously. Yeah. I was like, what? Talk about intelligence. Yeah, that's, uh, they yeah. are, they're, that, I think, just given the loan that their range and their habitat, they're able to, I guess they a lot of times live in the dense forest, but they can also live in some of the grasslands and they can live a little bit up in the altitudes. And they obviously live all through central and most of South America and even up into a little bit of North America. They're mm. very, very good at figuring out how to hunt and yeah. and get what they need and and also still be super mysterious and and stay hidden very well so it just i'm I, i'm really impressed by the fishing story i know <laughs> I like, but what? i'm not i'm not completely i'm not totally surprised because it just of course it makes sense that they would use all the resources and it makes sense to me that they're they're very smart and uh that's just so cool yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah so so I think it's a great segue into behavior. Like there's got to be some other cool stuff. Oh, just, for sure. And well, and, and yeah. even just with their, I, I think I'm really uh, just, this has like been the year of um, hunting strategies for me. I just am in love with the different carnivore hunting strategies, but w- what they will do too, which is really impressive is they'll a lot of times drag the carcass with their strong bodies mm-hmm. and strong jaws, like, up into the trees or quite a distance away. Not all the time, but yeah, I mean, they're just, uh, they're just, they're just a wealth of, uh, of strength and power and Mm -hmm, super mm -hmm. impressive. But when they are active and one of the reasons they are harder to see, they're definitely hard to study. If you're a JAG researcher or conservationist is that they're typically active and doing their hunting at dusk and dawn. So they're crepuscular. That's the fancy word for it. Um, but they can, uh, the ones that have radio collars on and stuff show that they can be active at any time of day, but right. it's, it's, it's usually going to be at the times that are a little bit harder to record them and see them and things like that. And just like any other cats in your house or any of the other big cats we've talked about, they spend a lot of time doing what, Chris? Sleeping. Yeah. That's <laughs> all right? cats do. That's, That's all they, they do. do. I mean, even in Africa, I've seen a lot of lions and only recently were the lions actually on, on the move. The other three times I've seen them, they've been under the shade bush just resting. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Uh, that's what big cats do a lot of times. If you are lucky enough to see them in action, that's even more bonus. But typically a jaguar is just going to lay in the shade under thick vegetation, blend in with their rosette, beautiful spots, uh, and just rest. Um, they do, as you mentioned, like to hang out by riverbanks and I guess mm-hmm. perform this cool, fish. cool fish. Like they're <laughs> bored. Fishing. So they're like, I'm just going to fish. Uh, so, uh, and then depending on where they live in, uh, Central and South America, if it's a, during the rainy season and they, and it, the area is flooding, they all might, they might move up into more trees or dense, uh, jungle areas. But once again, they, they definitely like the water and they are unlike your house cat. They, they like, like spending time in the water. Yes, they do. Uh, but, and Chris, as you mentioned about these, certain pockets of jags being in big trouble with their populations. It's important to note that it's not just a simple fix 
because they need a lot of land. Uh, mm-hmm. They have home ranges of anywhere from 20 to 40 square miles for females and double that for males. You know, that's for one animal. And they will cross territories, uh, but they, they're they used to having a lot of land to hunt on and, and do their jaguar thing. And so these pockets where there's not very many of them – they need to be protected because they need a lot of land and then they do need to be able to find each other and things like that. And so one study estimated that during a day they might travel anywhere from four kilometers if they're a male or up to two kilometers if they're a female, just kind of moving around looking for food and things like that. So, and in regards to their social behavior, jaguars fall more into like the tiger category of wanting to be yeah. solitary. They yeah. don't need friends. And so if you do go to one of your accredited zoos and you see a jaguar on exhibit by itself, that's actually an okay thing. That's how it would live in yeah. the wild. And so they are pretty much only going to come together and be friendly with each other during the breeding season. And so being solitary animals, they will maybe bump into each other once in a while, but they do try to mark their territory with vocalization, scraping trees, and of course the good old cat spray, the urine spray. So oh, they, yeah. I'm sure they try to wonderful. stick away from each other. And if they do bump into each other, they're not going to try to be super aggressive. Uh, that most animals don't want to fight because it's just taking up too many resources and they could get hurt. They could even die. Mm-hmm. So in general, adult jaguars aren't going to typically fight with each other. They'll just probably go their separate ways or they'll pick up on the cues that, Hey, this is somebody else's home range. Mm-hmm. I I can go somewhere else. And that's why just like with a lot of wildlife, it's even though there might be these preserves or this national park or things like that, where the jaguars are heavily protected, it can be hard to say, okay, you must stay here at all times. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. where a lot of them will wander off or into uh, private lands where there might be some agriculture or livestock going on and uh, they can get into some trouble there. So uh, they're not, they're not trying to seek out trouble uh, with wanting to eat cattle or anything like that. It's just that sometimes their home range that have been developed for them might not be big enough, or they're also trying to not live all up with each other. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. you know, definitely yeah. the opposite of a lion pride, right? They don't want to be by each other. So Angie, I read they they do something called saw, and I, I've heard this before, and it sounds like it's, it's sawing of wood, but it's only the saw going in one direction. But I know you said they do a ton of other vocalizations. So yeah, they're that? they're definitely not a one trick cat. They they vocalize mm-hmm. a lot and they'll roar. Now it's not going to be the roar that you think of the mighty lion, lion tiger yeah. roar. Tiger roars. Can, I just learned today in one of my interviews that they can cover like eight miles. So oh, wow, yeah, it's wow. not going to be quite that that uh that powerful but they'll grunt and they'll make mewing sounds and they also do this uh sound um which is more of like a grunt or a cough if you will so it's like a almost like a repetitive cough and then they'll throw some mews and grunts in there so they definitely have their own their own set of vocalizations. I don't necessarily want to say language because that could be misinterpreted, but they definitely aren't just roaring. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. 
they will they'll do counter calls with each other to talk about where their territories are and they definitely definitely get more vocal when a female is an estrus or it's breeding season because that's how they're going to talk to each other and help locate each other and basically when a female is advertising herself she'll basically make noises and call late into the night uh with with these grunt vocalizations mm-hmm. and then a male will respond with similar vocalizations and so yeah they can hopefully then find each other and once they do find each other their courtship is kind of how i guess you would think of cat courtship is just they you know there's might be there's some vocalizations and of course some a male will check out a female and and they do the the flimmin response where they will Mm. he'll he'll smell her urine to make sure that uh she she has the right smells and pheromones that, and that mm-hmm. she's ready to to be bred and she'll she, she's also very vocal and she'll also exhibit lodorsis which is basically like a stiffening up of the back which will also tell the male that um, she's ready to be bred so not not as fun as some of the birds we've been covering recently with as far as their courtship behaviors go but you anybody's ever seen a female cat and heat it's you know usually pretty obvious and so she makes herself pretty available to the male and her estrus cycle itself is about 37 days with the peak of being re- receptivity is going to be anywhere from 6 to 17 days so i was surprised that mm-hmm. seemed kind of long but it makes sense that um you know if they have to find each other and they're not normally living together that she needs to be experiencing a, a longer period of high estrogen to, to help keep her receptive. Um, but yeah, she, she'll roll and scent mark and just do just different behavioral changes for those six to 17 days until she finds a male. And they do, they're not necessarily seasonal, uh, but they do. So they will breed any time of year, but they researchers have found that, uh, Mating typically increases during the months of December through March. So, okay. uh, which is just, their springish mm-hmm. southern hemisphere? Well, I mean uh, the equator, so right. northern hemisphere. Yeah, it's, it's, but I'm sure most of this is south. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and they're in a they're a hard animal to study too, right? So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. some of this is coming from JAG uh, research done under human care. But right, yeah, right. no, for the most part, uh, males have high androgen levels or testosterone levels throughout the year, but there is some seasonal variation in them depending on the rainy season, which makes sense because that's how a lot of tropical animals figure things out when, when the rains come. Uh, so, but yeah, once male and female Jaguar do meet and, uh, have a short little dating period, she, uh, basically, I, I love the sentence. I'm going to read it word for word. She does yeah. not tolerate the presence of the male after mating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, get out of here. Oh yeah. Yeah. So they breed and then she kicks them to the curb. Uh, and so especially she doesn't want any males around her, uh, when there are cubs around because males can sometimes, uh, exhibit, um, infanticide. So she, she's smart. She, he serves his purpose and then mm-hmm. off he goes. And so, uh, when he, after he does serve his purpose, she'll be, uh, she'll, her gestation periods anywhere from 90 to 110 days. And 
as we mentioned, a lot of times cubs are born during the wet season because the more grasses, the more prey animals and the more prey animals make for more food choices for um, mama jag and her offspring. She'll typically have anywhere from one to four cubs. Uh, wow. I know that I didn't know there's, wow. I found out so much during this podcast. Uh, I, I mean, but a Jag, like, you know, I would always think singletons are twins maybe, but up to four. Wow. Mm-hmm. Two is average. Okay. So two, two yeah. is average. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, the cubs are born and they're super needy. They have their eyes closed, very dependent on their mom. Uh, and their eyes don't even open until they're about two weeks old and cubs will nurse heavily until they're about five to six months. And then they start learning how to hunt with mom and they're very, very dependent on their mom from predators and for guidance on how to hunt, which we've talked a lot in this podcast before with large carnivores, why it is so hard to. And another reason why Tiger King and the, Oh, we're helping conservation and this BS they feed the public about, you know, pay $30 to pet this cub because you're going to help conservation. These tigers are helping conservation. It's such baloney. You right. never will reintroduce any of those big cats no. ever because well, their genetics are not good. Uh, their generic tigers are not certain tiger breeds, but yeah, Chris, I mean, big cats need to be with their moms and jaguars are no exception. They're typically dependent on their mom till they're one to two years old and learning how to hunt. She's teaching them, sharing her, her, her hunts with them. And obviously they have these really cool hunting, hunting styles of am, you know, being amazing ambush predators and skull crushing tactics and things like that. So Jaguar cubs have a lot to learn from their mom. And so, and in general, Jaguars aren't going to be sexually mature until they're anywhere from 12 to 24 months and with males, it's going to be even longer. But especially for males, it takes a while before they can become successful reproductively. So they have a slower generation interval, which once again, when we talk about uh, their conservation is why we want to protect them because they're not just going to, I guess, bounce back like our domestic house cats would. Right? Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. so th- it takes a lot longer and with, because the cubs stay with a female, she typically only has a litter every other year. And so, and by litter, that means one to two, maybe four. And, and so it, it's, there's a lot of care that goes into raising cubs and there's a lot of things out in the wild you know, where cubs won't survive. So with these slower generation intervals, we really got to keep an eye on their numbers. And as you, and like you mm-hmm. mentioned earlier in the podcast, even though they're not endangered at this point in time, according to IUCN, uh, a lot of specific populations are in trouble. Right. Big trouble. Big trouble. That's a good uh, role in just the populations. I mean, yeah, they are near threatened. But like I explained earlier in that study, IUCN has to take the global population into, into account. They don't look at these subpopulations. So the estimate and, and, the, the best estimate I think we have right now is a recent study that came out in 2018. Uh, it's published in PLOS One, so anybody can read this because that's an open access journal. And it's estimating large carnivore populations at a global scale based on spatial predictions of density and distribution, and they apply this to the jaguar. So a bunch of scientists, they look at the 
the data, the census data, and then use modeling. So best estimate from this is 173,000. Okay. And again, that's from middle Argentina up to the border of the United States. Okay. So that's spread out all over. Most of those 163,000 are in South America. So only 10,000 are north in, or in Central and North America. Brazil has the highest population with 86,000, almost 87,000. That's an estimate. And then all the way down to Argentina where there's only 300. Okay. Zero in Chile, Chile and zero in Uruguay. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, there you go. Now in north of that, Mexico has 4,300. And Nicaragua has the most at almost 1,500. Down, you say Costa Rica has about over 500. Belize, over 500. Uh, the U.S., uh, zero to four, you know, it's the ones that range in there. And then El Salvador has zero. So North America, 10,000. So again, those populations in Central and North America, I think, are the ones that are really endangered of going extinct or going away. And again, very fragmented populations, things like that. So definitely they, we need to keep our eyes on them. A lot of threats that we've talked about. We've actually, I just kind of hit me earlier. We've done a lot of South America lately. <laughs> I <laughs> love it. Yeah. Yeah. And so before we get to, before we get to the organization of the week, just really quickly, the conservation tip of the week is if you're thinking about traveling, ecotourism, South America, just to reiterate what Angie said earlier. Great place to go. You hear Angie's stories about her trip down there. I think your money would go a lot to help the local economies. And especially if you're supporting them either for jaguars or river dolphins or something like that. So, And yes, Chris, with that being said, I picked out two organizations depending on where you live uh, this time. And so the first organization is the Jaguar Conservation Program, otherwise known as Instituto Anca Pintada. And I know I'm not saying that right. It is Portuguese. (laughs) I dabble with Spanish. My Spanish is okay, Uh, but my Portuguese is not good. And so, uh, but I want to give this organization a shout out and I put it on our show notes because the Jaguar Conservation Fund is based in Brazil, and it's found. It was founded many years ago by a group of researchers with a strong background in sciences, and their mission is to promote conservation of the jaguar and its natural habitat, all the prey that come along with it because it's an umbrella species, and also work on strategies on how to coexist with humans. So uh, their website is gorgeous and I don't understand any of it because it's in Portuguese. So hopefully one of our Brazilian fans can, <laughs> can help navigate the waters for me. And same with their Facebook. I like them on Facebook because they have uh, a lot of really good things going on, but the articles are in Portuguese, but I know that we have listeners in Brazil. And if you are in Brazil or just in general, want to uh, know about more local organizations that are doing amazing things for Jaguar, definitely check out the Jaguar Conservation Fund also known as Instituto Onco Pintada. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I think it's good. No, it's <laughs> so it's bad. No. If it was Spanish, yeah. it would be like moderately embarrassing, but because it's in Portuguese, mm-hmm. it's like major, major embarrassing. But giving them a shout out because they do a lot of good work. And then 
And here in the U.S., I want to give a huge shout out to the Wildlife Conservation Society, of, otherwise known as the WCS. Uh, they are an amazing, amazing group of researchers, zoologists, zoo specialists that basically work on saving wildlife and wild places worldwide. They use science and education and conservation, and they are established out of the Bronx Zoo, which is the coolest zoo. It's one of my favorites mm -hmm. in the country. One of my tops. Yeah. It's so awesome. And I, and I think with everything going on now with the Tiger King and people being wondering what makes a good zoo and not a good zoo, we talk a lot about zoos being accredited, and we also talk a lot about how good zoos have conservation initiatives to help animals in the wild and give a lot of money. And the Bronx Zoo has taken this to an incredible, mm -hmm. amazingly high level with their Wildlife Conservation Society as far as the work they do for several species. But this week, of course, I'm highlighting uh, jaguars. They work in eight different areas or eight different Latin American countries. They are protecting more than 5,000 jaguars over close to a half a million square kilometers of jaguar habitat. And they, they do it all. They mm -hmm. just collaborate with several different partners. They work with the public. They work with the locals. They work with scientists. They work with the jaguar conservation program to help monitor uh, the animals and survey uh, different areas and understand, as you and I talked about, it's a very co conservation abroad can be difficult enough if in one country, but we're talking about a series of 18 countries that Jaguar habitat crosses in. And so it's super complex. And I think the wildlife conservation society gets a huge shout out for navigating these muddy waters really, really well and having a lot of success and doing it and protecting jaguars. So yeah. you can check out their website at wcs.org and then search for jaguars and as well as follow them on Facebook to learn more about all the cool things that they're doing and others. Uh, they're on every social media platform, Instagram, all of that. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, just another great example of yeah, I know. Uh, your accredited zoos fighting. are not just your, they're, they do so much behind the scenes work and they don't get enough credit for it. So. No, no, I love the Bronx Zoo. It's, it's so cool. Top, I love it. I totally five, love yeah, it. Top five zoos to visit in the world for, for sure. sure. So, ah, fun. They are, uh, I love them. Love them. Love them. Go, go see go a jaguar. Go look at pictures of them and just be yes. in awe at nature. And they've been around and evolving for hundreds of thousands of years. Thousands and of they years. deserve to be here. And they're crazy awesome hunters, super mm -hmm. strong at swimmers. I mean, great fishers, they, yeah. fishermen and women. Yeah. <laughs> they're and they're, and, they and that's the thing fish. is I think all, yeah. every country that they range in can get behind the fact that we want more of them. It's just figuring out mm -hmm. how to do it and how to balance it with, and then demand for using their habitat for agriculture or just for resources. So, uh, but in general, I think everybody can be on team Jaguar. It's just figuring out how exactly to get it done. 
So you can definitely be a conservation hero for Jaguars this week if you share this episode and Mm -hmm. let people know that you care about these big cats, the biggest cat from the Americas. And uh, and just, yeah, share some of these fun facts. I I bet your best friend does not know the difference between a jaguar and a leopard. So you can can definitely show off at the next cocktail party or (laughs) trivia night or whatever it is. Be that animal dork. You can thank us later. Yes. Yes, yes. So we'll be back next week with another amazing species. So take care. Thank you. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.